You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents the Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello, Long Island, New York, and around the country. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, we have a special guest. We have our ex-partner from the Weekend Crunch, Mr. Joshua Silverberg. Josh, what's up, man? What's going on? You can check out my great show every single Friday from 6 to 7 p.m. on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network called Game On. As Errol sounds like Teen Wolf over there. Errol's going for a wolf-monkey hybrid. <laughs> but thanks guys for having me on. I told Speedy uh, on the show I said I was going to be on this weekend, so I figured why not pop on and just say what's up. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we do have the great and powerful paid in the butt Speedy Petey in. Speedy, what's up, man? Well, I'm not a wolf nor a monkey. I also know that Game On, you could listen to make sure it's just not off the mat no. yes that's a fact i don't know what happened to he me was promoting yesterday. off the mat it doesn't exist i think i was just in cruise control at that point is that and what you call it and yeah at that point because i don't know what i was doing we have a great show lined up for you guys a little bit later in the show we will be talking to jacksonville linebacker foyer alua kin he was the leading tackler in the nfl back-to-back years he has been fantastic for the jaguars he's one of the leaders to that defense could be one of the elite defenses in the league going into this season with a top notch young defensive line. It's going to be fun. He's going to be fun to talk to. The Islanders are down 2-1 to one against the Hurricanes as they come back in Long Island on Friday night and put up a five spot. Thank God. They've had problems scoring. They've been robbed throughout this series. The penalty calls by the referees, they're absolutely horrendous. Horrible in Carolina. Finally, the Islanders get some luck and they put the puck in the net. So good for the Islanders. Hopefully, Game 4 on Sunday will be just as good. Rangers lead the Devils 2 to nothing. They're absolutely dominating the New Jersey Devils. All the people out there, including Joshua Silverberg, who thought it was going to go 6 or 7, are now just completely taking control of this series. And I don't think the Devils are going to win more than one game. The Knicks are up 2-1 to one against the Cavaliers. Fantastic game, number 3 game. First playoff game in Madison Square Garden since the Atlanta Hawks. The Trey Young years. I would say Trey Young years because I don't think we're going to see any more of that. Especially in Madison Square Garden. Especially this year because it doesn't look like they're getting passed the Boston Celtics. They didn't beat the Boston Celtics the other day. They're down 2-1. to one. I don't see them beating Boston in that series. The Nets down 3-0 against the 76ers. If you're a Nets fan, enjoy this clownville because no Ben Simmons. There is a problem. They're losing. Hey, he hasn't missed any free throws this postseason. Well, that's true too. So maybe that'll help his numbers go up for next year. Aaron Rodgers says it's the Jets or nothing. So all the Jet fans out there that are worried that Aaron Rodgers is going to Tennessee, he's 
going to the 49ers. He's going nowhere. He is waiting. The Jets are waiting. And they're not going to throw away a first-round draft pick for a guy you don't know is going to play more than two years. So I think this is a great move by Joe Douglas. He is playing the Green Bay Packers bluff. I think he's doing a really, really good job. If it was any other Jets GM over the years, the Mike McCagnins, the John Isnicks, I think they would have bite. And if they bit on this, the Jets would be in a really bad situation. So good for the Jets. The Jets and the Giants draft outlook as the Jets draft at number 13, the Giants draft at number 25. Where could the Jets or the Giants go in this year's draft? Domingo Herman and Max Scherzer both involved in incidents for a sticky substance as Max Scherzer suspended for 10 games. It looks like Domingo Herman is getting away with it. And now everybody's saying, what's going on here? Are the Yankees getting different treatment than everybody else? Give me a break. I don't know why Max Scherzer got tossed. There has to be some kind of rule change. Giancarlo Stanton out six to eight weeks with a hamstring strain. I'm not surprised. Shea Otani wants out from the Angels if they fall out of playoff contention. Where does he go if he does get traded? Moneyline Mania. No Chaz tonight. No Wes. No problem. We have Jonathan who is going to be on a betting show. He'll talk about his great opportunity. And Paolo from Greece will be joining us. He is our soccer guy, smart guy, knows his stuff. Excited to have both of those guys on the show. So Joshua, you should be very excited as your New York Rangers playing fantastic hockey. They're up 2-0 against the Devils, getting goal scoring by all the guys that they traded for at the trade deadline. Tarasenko has been hot. He's got two goals in this series. You have Patrick Kane figuring things out in game number two, has a couple assists. He's been playing very, very well. I think this team as a whole, offensively, clicking on all cylinders. This power play, Chris Kreider, four goals in two games. He's been hot, red hot, and they're getting goals from the guys that you expect to put the puck in the net. Now, if the Rangers continue playing like this, and Shosturkin keeps playing the way he is playing, this team is going to sweep the New Jersey Devils. And I know all the Devil fans thought this series was all about the speed and the youth of the Devils and what the Devils did in the regular season to the Rangers. The playoffs are completely different. And you heard Patrick Kane say that. You heard Vladimir Tarasenko say that. And you see the difference. Henrik Lundqvist said something very interesting on the Ranger intermission about the New York Rangers and the way the New York Rangers are playing in this series. And he said they're playing fast. And that's something that the Rangers did not do last year in the playoffs. The Rangers are one of the younger teams in the NHL. But even the veterans, the Patrick Canes, the Tarasenkos, playing their hearts out, playing hard. And when you play hard and you're showing these young players how hard you're playing, what do they do? They follow suit. And that's the difference right now with the New York Rangers. Their veterans are showing up to the games. They're going to practices and they're showing you how much they want to win. And when you show that to all the young players, then you have their voice and your voice be heard to all the players in the locker room. Collectively, the pace of the game has really been a lot stronger than what we saw last year, and everyone is striving around it, and even defensively, they're swarming to the puck to block shots, too, against this very fast Devils team. They're coming from sometimes the other end of the ice to go from left to right to block a shot on the edges, and it's made Igor Shosturkin's job a lot easier. He's made some great saves, but he hasn't had to do a lot in terms of volume. The Devils, while they did possess the puck a lot in the second and third period of Game 1, they really didn't do much with their opportunities, and they definitely didn't do anything on the power play. With the Devils, they are an off Offensive team. Their defense is all right, but the Rangers have shut down every facet. With the fact that the Rangers are doing what they're doing, I am very surprised. When you look at the numbers and the statistics of both teams this year, right? The Devils had better numbers than the Rangers did on the defensive side of the puck. And the thing about the Devils is they play a quick north to south game. It's very fast paced, whereas the Rangers defensemen, they like to pinch in. Miller and those guys always pinch in and they screw it up, and then it becomes a two on one odd man rush. What I got out of this series.
series so far is a couple years back during the bubble, the Hurricanes who had just come off a very tough playoff run, right? They got to the conference finals. They were tough. They had a chip on their shoulder. Whereas the Rangers were this young, inexperienced, up-and-coming team in 2020. They were hot. They had Shesterkin. And they got to the playoffs and they were feeling confident. Hey, we could take Carolina. We're a faster team. We're a younger team. They're not as good as us. We have a little more youth. And it didn't work. The Rangers got the doors blown off of them in that series. And I think that's what's happening with the Devils right now. Now, look, if the Devils don't resign Timo Meyer, I feel like the rebuild process takes a massive hit. The objective here is trying to get a win against the Rangers no, of course. in Madison Square Garden. Because if you're thinking about Timo Meyer next year, well, then you're giving up on this season. You're well, giving up on this playoff run. Well, I understand that. But at the same time, look at what happened at home in these two games. If you're the Devils, how are you able to block power play one for the Rangers? You have Kreider up front. You have Fox at the top. You have Kane, Zibanejad, and Panarin at the points. Who are you guarding? How are you able to play that defensively, especially when they get comfortable in the offensive zone? You can't do it. You have five perennial all-stars on one power play. And then you're also seeing what the Devils were doing at the end of the game. They were upset. That's the way they have to play exactly. against that power play, is they have to be rugged. They have to hit. They have to cause problems. They have to make the Rangers believe that they can't set up shop the way they have in this series. If they could do that and throw the Rangers off their positions, then the Devils could absolutely knock off this power play. The Rangers, they're playing fast. They're hitting. Truba, he's hitting hard. Tarasenko, this is why they went after Tarasenko at the trade deadline because of what he could do on the ice. When he's 100% healthy, he can hit, he can penalty kill, he could go on the power play, and he could put the puck in the net. And Patrick Kane, he's a facilitator, he could set anybody up, and he could put the puck in the net. The Rangers, they have upgraded at the positions that they needed to. Now the question is, going against a young team like this, and the Devils have to be smart too. They're going into Madison Square Garden. They're going into a very loud arena, an arena that's going to be chanting Rangers this and Rangers that. They were chanting Rangers this and Rangers that in the Prudential Center. What could the Devils do to get back into the series? They need good goaltending, and Vanacek has not played very well in this series. And that has a lot to do with the Rangers and what they have done on the power play and what the Rangers could do offensively with their first two lines. They have to use their size, especially Timo Meyer. Timo Meyer is one of the best power forwards in the league, using his body, his checking. He has not done enough of that in this series, and it's been a huge problem for the Devils because they they're getting beaten up, especially in the second period. Both second periods, they have been dominated by the New York Rangers. And if they continuously keep getting dominated in the second period, going into the third period, they're not going to have any confidence, and the Rangers are going to take over the game. End of the first period, too. The Rangers have dominated in all those games. The Devils also, with the power play, getting a lot of opportunities. Not executed them. Defensively, they got to be a little better. They're playing very passive. We've seen that in the past with teams like the Wild and teams like the Flames. Talented defenses on paper that don't play hard enough in the playoffs. You need some level of physicality. They have some size on their team. It's not like they're a super small team. You do see what the Rangers are doing defensively against the Devils. Yo, they're swarming. They're taking out Jack Hughes. They're making sure that Jack Hughes can't set up and do the things that he is strong at. He's small, and they're beating him up. They're pushing him around. What the Devils need to do is they need to get Dougie Hamilton involved. He has to protect his younger players like a Jack Hughes. Jack Hughes has been thrown around by the Rangers. Game number two, Tarasenko almost threw him over the boards. And when you're getting hit by Tarasenko, 
show. He's not Jacob Truba. He's not that type of player. And he's body checking you and throwing you all over the place. Then you have a problem. How many points does Jack Hughes have in this series? He has a goal. And look at the guys the Rangers depend on in this series. Kreider has four goals. Tarasenko's played two games. He's got two goals. Patrick Kane, who I think is going to take over throughout the playoffs. And when he figures it out, and he figures out how the game slows down in front of him, we've seen him do it in Chicago. He is one of the most dominant players in the playoffs. Well, he did it in game two. He had a goal and three assists in that game alone, including one of the nicest plays I think I've ever seen a person make. He pickpocketed Jesper Bratt. Then he brought the puck up to the offensive zone, created his own two-on-one with Kreider, didn't pass it, shot a backhander over the shoulder of Vita Vanacek. I was just like, he just created that whole play himself. Patrick Kane said it after game one. His words to the media were, I have to give more than what I've been given to this fan base because I know I have a lot more left to give. Tarasenko, what do those two guys have in common? They both have won what? Stanley Cups. Both have done it and they were both massive contributors in winning those Stanley Cups. That's why those two guys were brought in. They were brought in to be the veteran presence that this team was missing last season to get them over the hump against a team like Tampa where they were up two games to none, made some mistakes and it screwed everything up and it was overwhelming to the young kids. The series is definitely not over and it does feel like it's over. You're seeing the Knicks starting off the weekend very nicely so that's one for the Garden. You expected the Rangers tonight, then the Knicks Sunday, the Rangers Monday. It's a garden party, and everybody is, if you can afford it, is invited. And then there's the Islanders. And I know a lot of Islander fans, including yours truly, are not excited at what we saw in Carolina. I know the Islanders weren't getting the calls. And I know everybody all over Twitter and every single fan out there that are Islander fans were not happy with the two back-to-back four-minute penalties that the Islanders got in the game number two, which was very costly to the Islanders. You're going to say, well, how costly was it? They didn't score on those two four-minute penalties. Here's the problem. When the Islanders are playing chase and the Islanders are going to be tired throughout the game, it's going to be less of a chance where they can put pressure offensively in the third period. The Islanders are not a goal-scoring team. They're not an offensive team. They're a defensive-minded team. They have a great goaltender in Ilya Sorokin. And Sorokin, he gave up some bad goals in the second game. But it wasn't because of Ilya Sorokin and why they lost the game. I believe that this series was very much in control by the Carolina Hurricanes. And a lot of the reasons why, maybe because they had home ice advantage in Carolina. The NHL needed to look at that. Lambert at the end of the game, he didn't want to throw anybody under the bus, but everybody knows that Scott Mayfield got hit in the face in the overtime. The Islanders would have had a double minor power play, but maybe the Islanders win game number two and they should be up two to one. But right now they're down two to one. What we saw in game number three was Ilya Sorokin dancing on his head. He had over 30 saves, but not only that, this team actually had a pulse. They actually found a way to score in the third period. They had many chances in the second period to take the lead. They gave up a nasty shorthanded goal at the end of the second period, which tied the game going into the third period. And then the Islanders took over. They put pressure on the Carolina Hurricanes defense. And we know what Burns could do. That's why they brought Burns to the Carolina Hurricanes. And we all know how good Brindamore is as a head coach. He's one of the best coaches in the NHL. He also has one of the ugliest noses. (laughs) I can't sit here and say that the Islanders are going to come back in this series because they have a lot to do. They have a lot to show in that game number four on Sunday afternoon. If they show up in that game, they tie this series, they have to find a way to beat Carolina at home. Carolina is one of the hardest teams to beat at home. They have one of the best home records in the league. They were the number two seed in the Eastern Conference. And one of the main reasons why they had one of the best records in the Eastern Conference is because they had great defense. They had two reliable goaltenders. They actually play great team defense. 
And that is the secret to winning a Stanley Cup. Great goaltending and great team defense. If you can do that, you score two or three goals, you can win. The other thing the Hurricanes do very well is puck possession. The problem is they haven't been able to get as many shots on goal as they should. Now, Sorokin's made some tremendous saves, but like you were saying, has allowed a lot of bad goals, too, at the same time. The game, two goals. Two of those were absolutely fluky goals. The goal that popped off Aho's stick, that wasn't his fault. I don't care no, what it anybody says. Fault. He took fluky, responsibility though. for it. I understand he was out of place, and that's fine. Nobody thought it was going to bounce the way it did. The goal that went off his helmet, that was a fluky goal, and he should have stopped that. He's a great goaltender. He was the second-best goaltender in the NHL. He's up for goalie of the year. The only reason why Olmark's going to beat him out is because of the sensational season he had early and took over in the middle of the season. The Islanders are not known as a puck possession team, so they're going to have to do it in a lot of different ways, and they did it better in Game 3. Back and forth was the first period, but the second period it was mainly dominated puck possession-wise by Carolina, but then the third period, the Islanders were taking advantage of getting a lot of good quality scoring chances. Even the ones they didn't score on, Ronson made a lot of tough saves, and they crashed the net very well. I look at the way the Islanders performed. There's no way they were not going to win this game. You can't go down in the series three games and not. Now, could Carolina still win game four? Sure. I think these teams are very evenly matched when you look at both the offensive and defensive structures of both of them. Now, of course, Carolina has a lot more injuries. Right now, losing now Tara Vinen. He's done for the playoffs. You already has Vetchnikov out for the rest of the season. What's been interesting is Carolina figuring out this goaltending matchup, right? Anderson or Ronta. In the end, the Islanders have to go in with the perspective of we have, of course, the better goaltender. The defensive structures to me are very similar. It's a matter of who's going to score that fluky, weird goal, I feel like. that That's how that team is going to win a game. So this series is definitely not over. I picked the Islanders to win this series. I believe I said six games when I don't think that's happening. The Pick Islanders could still win in six, but they're going to have There's to go no on There's no way they're going to win four straight games. That's asking a lot. We've seen crazier things. You're I right. I saw Derek Rose score in a playoff game yesterday. Yeah. I've seen some crazy things already. So You're right. Go. Derek Rose is finally getting his chance on the basketball court. Again, I think that there's a very good chance that the Islanders could win on Sunday. If they win on Sunday, we could be talking a complete different series. But they're going to have to go back to Carolina. And even if they win these two games in UBS Arena and having a chance to go back to Carolina Tide, they're going to have to show up and put the puck in the net, which they haven't done back-to-back games in Carolina. When we come back, some New York Knicks conversation as the Knicks go up 2-1 to against the Cavaliers and the Nets, the clown version of the New York Knicks. The Nets could be on their way out as Doc Rivers, he's going to be needing to use his stethoscope and maybe some ER or some treatment over there. Doctor needs to open up his lines because the 76ers look like they could be knocking off the Brooklyn Nets after this weekend. So when we come back, we will get into some Knicks and Nets conversation here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week. They're live and in color. Listen to the Sports Live Mounts every single Wednesday. 
Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. You should be listening to our shows every Wednesdays and Thursdays only on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I'd like to thank Joshua Silverberg. He came into the studios to help us out in the first segment. Thank you, Josh. He's got to go home to his son and his wife. I really appreciate you joining us for a little bit. Now, if you're a Knicks fan, you should be very excited. Even though this series has been as sloppy as any Knicks series we've seen in the last 25 years, we haven't seen many. But this is a different Knicks team. You saw it in game number three. You saw it in Madison Square Garden. Jalen Brunson has changed what this team believes in. And we have believed in losing for years. This organization has a losing mentality. And now with Jalen Brunson and some of these younger players. Now, R.J. Barry had a very good game number three. He didn't look good for game number two. He was pulled. He didn't look good in game number one. Julius Randle is the bricklayer. So we don't expect him to be that 40, 50-point guy when we need him to be. But at least he's going to give you the points and the boards and the assists that you need him to stay into this game. Mitchell Robinson is going to do what Mitchell Robinson does. Block and rebound. But the Knicks need points off the bench. And finally, Quigley and Obi Toppin. These guys are going to play a big factor if the Knicks have any chance throughout the playoffs. The Cavaliers, they have two weapons. Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. And Garland was unstoppable in game number two. Six three-pointers. And the Knicks couldn't stop him. And in game number three, maybe because it was in Madison Square Garden, but Garland was not as dominant. And if the Knicks could shut down one of those guys and make the other one try to beat you by himself, the Knicks are going to win. This series has been defined by which wings collectively have played better. In game one, the Knicks' wings were very good. Josh Hart was very good, especially defensively. Quigley and Grimes still kind of iffy. And Barrett was fine. He got to go in the second half and was good defensively. But game two, everybody was awful shooting-wise, and the Cavaliers' wings and their point guards were very good. Game three was the total opposite. Darius Garland did not have that same level of a shooting touch. You didn't see a lot from guys like Karis LeVert and Isaac Okoro in that small forward slot. And the Cavs' bench depth really has not shown up as much as the Knicks by any means. The Knicks' bench depth was very good throughout the regular season. They were the sixth highest scoring bench. They've outscored the Cavs bench-wise by 20-plus points. The Knicks' rebounding, which I thought would be an issue for them, has not been as big of a concern. They out-rebounded the Cavs in game number one with a lot of their guards. Game number two was even enough, considering how bad the score was, but still wasn't the main issue of why they lost. In game number three, they definitely got it going again. Mitchell Robinson definitely was a big factor. And even Isaiah Hartenstein has been pretty good so far here in the postseason against these Cavs bigs that have been menacing all season long with that number one defense in the NBA. Hopefully the Knicks will get into a series where there has been good basketball because this series has been absolutely horrendous basketball. But I believe the more grittier team is going to win this series. And Donovan Mitchell, I believe Donovan Mitchell wants to be a Nick. I believe Donovan Mitchell has wanted to be a Nick before he was traded to the Cavaliers. But Danny Ainge was not going to allow that. And you see the difference of what the Knicks are with Jalen Brunson. Maybe with Donovan Mitchell, they're a contender for a championship. But what the Knicks have done has been miraculous this year. Tom Thibodeau deserves a lot of credit. And finally, Tom is sitting players out, not pushing players to a limit. And that's been a huge problem for Tom Thibodeau over the years. He's been playing guys too long. In game number two, they sat Julius Randle for almost six minutes in the third quarter, going into the fourth quarter. And one of the reasons why he's coming off from an injury that they lost him for almost the last two weeks of the season. So you have to depend on your stars to show up in the game. And Jalen Brunson in game number three showed up. Julius Randle, when he needed to hit a three, he did. R.J. Barrett, when he needed to hit a three, finally he hit one. 
one. If the Knicks do what they did at Madison Square Garden and they do it again on Sunday, I believe the Knicks are going to win this series. I already called the Knicks to win the series when a lot of people thought the Cavaliers were the better team. The questions, is this team good enough to knock off the Boston Celtics? Is this team good enough to beat the Milwaukee Bucks? And the only way anybody's going to take them serious is if they knock off this Cleveland Cavalier team, which a lot of people thought were going to be pesky in the playoffs this year. And the other thing, too, is they're doing it without Jalen Brunson's real A game yet. We have not seen it yet on a consistent basis in the playoffs. Now, he did have that great fourth quarter in Game 1. He did move the ball very well at the beginning of Game 1 as well, but Game 2 and Game 3 were not his typical self. Sometimes turning the ball over, he was sometimes making some bad passes, and his shooting touch really has not been there, especially in Game 3. If Jalen Brunson's A game can come out, that's going to take the Knicks to another level if these other wings can step up, because the wings really carried them in Game number 3, and along with that defense being fantastic the way it was against the Cavs, they held them to 32 points in the first half alone, and that has to say a lot about what the Knicks' potential could be. The Nets are right now just on a cusp of just being embarrassed by a 76er team that, yes, they were the third seed, but I thought they were a team that they can compete with. And Doc Rivers, who I don't think is a good playoff coach, I thought they would at least win one game in the series. But down 3-0, I can't see them winning a game in the series. The 76ers have dominated them on the boards. They're dominant on the perimeter. They've been shooting the ball. Lights out the 76ers against this Brooklyn Nets defense. Joel Embiid is the best player in this series by far. There's no superstar on this Nets team. Spencer Dinwiddie has played okay, but not anywhere close to what Kyrie Irving or Kevin Durant would have been playing in this series. Even if Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving was on this roster, I don't think they beat the 76ers. The 76ers are completely out-rebound them, out-played them, out-passed them, just completely dominated the ball this whole series. I don't know what the Nets do in the offseason. I don't know what they could do in the offseason, <laughs> but I don't know who wants to play for the Nets now, but I will give them a lot of credit. They did what they needed to do to make the playoffs. But here's the problem. When they make the playoffs, they have to beat one of these teams, one of these talented teams. And Joel Embiid, who I think could win the MVP this year, is just too much for them. And you look at a case where the Nets really had to fight hard to get that sixth seed. They couldn't afford to rest anybody. A lot of these teams, that once they're in, they're settled in their playoff spots, can loan manage. The Nets couldn't do that because the Nets were fighting with the Heat, even with the Atlanta Hawks, who got hot at the end of the season, fighting for that sixth spot. Even the Knicks, they were right near around for the five spot. They could have even surpassed them for a while before the Knicks got hot in the month of March. It's not a team that's really built for the playoffs right now. They traded everybody away. And if they kept Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, maybe they're a higher seed. Maybe they're a four. I don't know if they still have a good playoff identity anyway. If they were to even play against the Sixers or Cavaliers, the Knicks, the Nets with those three guys weren't good defensively. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, some NFL conversation as Aaron Rodgers speaks out. Yes, Jet fans, he has spoke out. I'm going to give you guys a really nice secret. He is going nowhere but the New York Jets. As he has come out and said to his agent, it's the Jets or nothing. So all you Jet fans that are crying that they have not brought Aaron Rodgers in, be patient. It's going to happen. Jets, Giants, draft. We will get into that as well when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week. They are live and in color only on the World Wide Sports Radio. 
Radio Network. Aaron Rodgers, yes, for all the Jet fans want to jump off a bridge because they don't have their starting quarterback yet. And the draft is around the corner and the New York Jets haven't traded away any picks, which you should be happy because if they're not trading any picks, those picks are for them to use. But Aaron Rodgers is recruiting players as Aaron Rodgers is recruiting Calais Campbell. It only says one thing. He wants to be a Jet. There are stories coming out from Aaron Rodgers' end because Aaron Rodgers supposedly the other day reached out to his agent and he said, Jets or nothing. So it's not the 49ers. I know the whole Trey Lance thing. There are rumors coming out that they're looking to trade Trey Lance because Brock Purdy seems to be the guy that they're going to move forward with. But I don't know if they're going to be able to move him before the draft, which is a week away. And what could they get back from Trey Lance? That's the question. The only person that can answer that question is Kyle Shanahan or John Lynch. So it's not going to be Tennessee. They're trading off Denver Henry. They have no wide receivers. They lost some offensive linemen. Why would Aaron Rodgers go there? They're even worse than the Green Bay Packers. The only team that makes sense right now, especially when they're not going to trade him in the NFC, is the Jets. All the Jet fans crying. What's going to happen? We don't have a quarterback. We're going to depend on Zach Wilson. Calm down, guys. He's heading to the Jets one way or another. The Packers' ultimatum right now is the draft. You're going to decide, Green Bay, if you actually want to at least get some draft fix. For this year. Or or you could just try to win the pettiness war on Aaron Rodgers. We held you hostage. You're not going where you want to go. Ha ha. And then screw your own franchise quarterback in Jordan Love. Aaron Rodgers says he only wants to go to the Jets. And it's the only one that's realistic. Because Tennessee, they have some money. But they don't have a lot of their top players left. And possibly going to trade Derrick Henry. They're possibly going to trade also safety Kevin Byard. The Titans wide receivers. I liked Traylon Burks out of the draft. But he was injury prone last year. He looked year, horrible. And they have nothing else to trust. The Packers have a steady guy with Christian Watson. Who was good once he returned from his injury. And again, I'm going to give Burks that same kind of chance, but Watson actually showed it. Burks didn't at them right now. So the Packers are the better wide receivers than the Titans. So why would he go there? The 49ers, their first pick in this draft, third round compensation pick. Is that what you think is going to leverage on to take on a trade like Aaron Rodgers? No. If the Packers are just going to be that petty and take it, well, that's their loss. But, but the Jets have offered them already a second and maybe two seconds. They're not giving up a first, and that's what I think they're trying to wait for. The Jets, I've heard, they offered him next year's first round draft pick before he went on the Pat McAfee show. After he went on the Pat McAfee show and said his piece about the Green Bay Packers, that first round pick came right off the board. It affected the Green Bay Packers. And you holding Aaron Rodgers ransom only tells me one thing. It tells me you're a stupid organization, one. And number two, you're only putting yourself in a position to fail here. It makes no sense on any way, shape, or form how this makes sense. They're going to lose so much value if they wait even further after the draft too, because then you're banking on unknown picks. We know the Jets' picks are in the second round, back-to-back with the Browns, 12 and 13 in that round, 42 and 43 overall. You know you're going to get good value at the beginning of that second round area, which still gives you leeway to trade up if you want to. You could try to get a second round next year or a third round next year and try to accumulate more picks like you said you were going to do. If you wait longer, you're going to lower the value because Joe Douglas is very stubborn with his trades. We've seen it many times on both the buying and selling end of it. And I don't know if you want to mess with that even further if you're somebody like Brian Gutenkurs because guess what's going to happen? You're going to disgruntle another supposedly franchise quarterback in Jordan Love, who's on the last year of his rookie contract. So good luck, Green Bay, in the turmoil you've already put yourself through. They're treading water. And for anybody to think that the Jets have no 
no chance of bringing in Aaron Rodgers after them sitting on this and waiting. He is a Jet. You can book it either before the draft or after the draft. He will be a New York Jet. The Jets are a really smart organization because they're not throwing away pieces of the future and they're not giving away draft picks, which we've seen them do over the past years. They're making a lot of sense as an organization on what they're doing. I just don't understand why anybody thinks that he is going anywhere else but the New York Jets. Why is it that everybody is crying about this on this whole Aaron Rodgers thing? I do believe that Aaron Rodgers sincerely wants to be a New York Jet. He loves the fact that Alan Lazard is there. He loves the fact that this team is ready to win now, and he has the weapons to do it. Plus, he's playing in a climate that is not as cold as the Green Bay Packers. I don't remember the last time it snowed in New York. There is no snow, so for all you fans out there crying about Aaron Rodgers, trust me, he will be a Jet. And for all the Jet fans to believe, being at number 13, the Jets aren't thinking about trading down and still getting the picks that they want. I think because they gave up a third round pick for Elijah Moore getting a second round pick. It makes sense that they're using one of those second picks to send to Green Bay. I believe the Jets will trade down at 13 to either 17 or 18, get another second or third round draft pick and get the guy that they want. There are stories that they like the Ohio State wide receiver. There are also stories that they're looking to bring in another offensive lineman because of Mekhi Becton's unhealthy background over the last couple of years. But I think the Jets are set. I think they can add some pieces to a young roster that they already have, they still have the opportunity to bring in a Calais Campbell or another veteran or two to play on that defensive line. Right, and you look at the scenarios that if the Jets are somehow able to hold that second round pick because the Packers just want to be petty, then you have leeway to do even more. You could trade back into the first. You could draft two players that you really need in that second round because they need linebacker safety offensive line is where they're going to be able to be focused on. But like you said, if you can get a value like Jackson Smith and Najigba who played with Garrett Wilson in college, he, I think skill-wise, is not far behind Garrett Wilson. The injuries just really held him back the last two years, and that's why his stock is kind of falling to the middle of the first round, because I think he is a top 10 talent. If you can get him even trading back from 13 to, say, 18 and get an extra third-round pick in Jackson Smith and the Jigba, that is an absolute steal for Joe Douglas. They can go offensive line. I like Peter Skaronsky, tackle out of Northwestern as an option for Mekhi Becton, who I did mention last season they could consider moving to guard, and especially with the way Elijah Vera Tucker played, it makes a lot of sense. And then there's a lot of good linebackers, a lot of good safeties in that first, second-round area late if the Jets do trade back even more and try to accumulate more picks. As far as the Giants are concerned, at number 25, they need a lot. The Jets don't need much. They need a linebacker. They could use another offensive lineman, and they can use the safety. Besides those positions, the Jets just could add on to the wealth that they have. The Giants, they need wide receiving help. They might need a running back. I don't think the Giants are going to draft a running back at 25. They need offensive line help. They need defensive line help. I believe they draft the best player available. I think at 25, the Giants go after the best cornerback available. They need a number one corner. They don't have a number one corner. With Jackson being your number one corner going into the season, and you're iffy on Jackson, could they add to the depth of that secondary, which has been so very weak the last couple of years? Yeah, it's interesting because Adoree Jackson is on that last year of his contract. So even if they do keep him for next season and then get rid of after that, you're still going to need corners long term. They just brought in Omari Oware from Detroit, who had a good couple years, but he had a bad year last year. They drafted last year in the third round Cordell Flott, who looked pretty good as a slot corner. But an outside corner definitely is an option. There's Joey Porter Jr. who plays for Penn State. Definitely could be a target. He might be a mid-first round pick, but if he falls, that's an option. You got somebody like Julius Brents for Kansas State. You're looking at some second round options. Not as fast guys, but physical guys. Because the Giants really lacked a lot of physical corners. Also wide receivers, definitely an option. The one I'm hoping realistically that could fall is somebody like Jordan Addison. Jordan Addison, who's a great route runner, but is undersized. So he might fall later into the first round.
first round. I don't think Jackson Smith and the Jigba will be there. It would be a miracle if he falls with his injury. Quinton Johnson's another interesting one, but he's probably going to be in the mid-first round. And then somebody like Keishon Boutte is an interesting one, too. A talented guy, but he sat out in the COVID year, and he didn't play much last year, too, for LSU. An offensive lineman, too. They like this kid, John Michael Schmitz, the center out of Minnesota, a lot. I'm hearing Brian Dable really does like him. It would not be surprising if he's the first-round pick. I think it's a bit of a reach, but definitely a need. And something they could do if they do trade back, too, because the Giants, they traded back three different times last season, including one with the Jets, where the Jets ended up trading up for Brees Hall. For all the Jet fans out there that are wondering where the Jets are going to go into the draft, they're not drafting a quarterback. They're limited to six picks right now. Remember last year? They had two first-round draft picks. They moved in with Jermaine Johnson. They traded two other picks to move into the first round. This year, the Jets only have six picks. So going into this draft, the Jets are going to be very frugal when it comes to looking for a player in this year's draft that fits their needs and their wants at the position that they're looking for. So Aaron Rodgers is going to the Jets, ladies and gentlemen. Stop playing with your minds. Stop crying about it. He is heading to the Jets. I am tired of reading all these stories from all these different writers here in New York and throughout the country. He is going nowhere else. He's not going to be a Packer. He's not going to be a Titan. He's not going to be a 49er. He will be a Jet. It's Jets or nothing. If he doesn't go to the Jets, he's probably retiring. And there's no way the Packers are going to pay him $60 million to sit on his behind all this season. So best believe he's heading to the Jets. When we come back, our special guests, we will be talking to Jacksonville Jaguars linebacker Foye Aluakin, the number one tackler in the NFL here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including the Sports Loud Mouths, which airs Wednesdays at 7 p.m., Thursdays at 9 p.m. with me and Speedy Petey, the great sports media show in America as we have the best guests, the best content, the craziest fans. And now, ladies and gentlemen, our very special guest, the number one tackler in the NFL last year, back-to-back years. We are now talking to Jacksonville Jaguars linebacker, Foyer Aluikin. Foyer, what's up, man? How you guys doing today? We're happy to have you on. I know you're a very busy guy. The offseason, you got to get healthy, you got to get working out, team meetings, you have the draft next week. How are you feeling now that you had such a great season leading the NFL in tackles? I feel good. We had a good year as a team, I think, and definitely want to come back and do better than last year. Keep building on that, especially how young we were kind of in the building. We got new pieces that we brought in. Old teammate Calvin's back in the building now with us in Jacksonville. But I'm just excited to get everything rolling again. So it was our first week with off-season workouts, and everybody's got the good energy. We just got to keep building on it, trying to get better for next year. Your last win of that last season, a great comeback in the playoffs against the Chargers, which I'm a Giants fan, but I always like to make fun of the Chargers because they always find the weirdest ways to lose. So you guys created a great (laughs) moment in the playoffs for you guys too. So what was that game like? For us as the players, it was pretty calm. When you kind of look back on it, how wild it was, I really didn't remember how many points we were down. I just knew we were down a lot, but it just seemed like everything that was going wrong could go wrong, but it was very early in the game. And I always tell people that it just seemed like as soon as we stopped doing everything wrong, technically, we would have a a fighting chance. So we wouldn't have time down 27-7. Eventually we got two stops and two scores and it was a two score game for the rest of the game. And we kind of went on a run from the midway point of the season 
into that that playoff spot where we had a lot of comeback wins. So just two scores down with the whole half to play, we're back in the kind of game that we're used to. Foyer, you look at last offseason, you added Doug Peterson. He won a Super Bowl with Philadelphia. Trevor Lawrence was developing for the first year, his rookie year. And then this year, he really grew as a quarterback. Tell us a little bit about the young quarterback over there in Jacksonville. Throughout the whole year, you could just see his confidence growing in himself. You got to think he's been top-ranked type quarterback since he was in high school or even probably before that. Used to winning games and he's used to leading teams to win games. For the most part, I think he just needed a, a coaching staff here in the NFL that he could believe in. I had faith in him and his abilities to put him in the best positions to win more games. So as soon as he got that confidence in the coaching staff and regained that confidence in himself after I just heard all bad stories about the first year of Urban Meyer type stuff. As soon as he gained confidence in the coaching staff and regained confidence in himself, you just saw that stuff soar and kept on improving through the year to where he was making crazy throws, crazy plays, and that's what he expects of himself, and I know he expected himself to get better. You actually became kind of the veteran of that linebacking core. They brought in Devin Lloyd last year in the draft. They uh, brought in Chad Muma. He's still got the young yep. pass rushers, too. So what has it been like kind of being like that leader of that defense when you were kind of one of the younger guys in Atlanta? So I think that's what I signed up for, to be a veteran of a room. I didn't all be like the oldest inside back. I was the oldest backer. Maybe Arden Key came in one year older than me. So it was <laughs> cool to have people looking up to me, kind of trying to copy my work ethic and stuff. Definitely asking me for ideas on what I saw or asking me for advice and stuff. But I feel like if we had a room that kind of emulated my approach to the game and then added their skill and their talent, I thought we could be successful with that. We just got to get better. Keep building on that. I know they're going to bring stuff to the game that I don't bring and I can help them out stuff that they don't bring and then just bounce ideas off each other now that we trust each other more, a little closer with each other, a little more confident with each other and be able to play off of each other. We are talking to the NFL's best leading tackler, Jacksonville Jaguars linebacker, Foyer Aluakin. You have a lot of good players on this team. Josh Allen, he is a beast on the edge. He's one of the best pass rushers in the league. What was it like playing with a young, talented player like Josh Allen on that line? It was just so cool. I used to watch a lot of Kentucky sports. I was a Kentucky fan growing up. Mm. So I, I seen Josh Allen get drafted there after having a good career at Kentucky. I think I was still a special teams player and I told him, like, yo, I'm a big fan of your game. I'm hoping wish you the best down here in Jacksonville when I was with Atlanta. Then a couple years later, I'm out here playing with him. He don't remember the moment, but I do because I was a Kentucky <laughs> fan. Just seeing him come into his own and keep on expanding on his career, I just definitely want the best for him. Coming into his fifth year, I know it's a big year for him coming forward. I'm just here to help him whatever way he needs, but he got a lot of talent. Leader of the team that everybody looks up to in his own right. Seeing him do his best and have more success out there is exactly what the team needs. NFL Draft next week. What was it like for you in 2018? You were drafted in the sixth round by the Atlanta Falcons. What was that moment like when you were drafted? It was surreal. I'm bad at like in the moment because <laughs> stuff happens I'm like, all right. So for me, I was always told six round, seven round. I was expected to not be drafted, but my agent said maybe seven round. I was like, I'm probably not going to get drafted. I fell asleep <laughs> during the whole third day. I had my phone next to my ear. I was expecting to be recruited for free agency. So kind of midway through the sixth round, beginning of sixth round, when that phone had a ring yet, I, I hit my agent up because, you know, I told everybody to make sure don't text my phone, don't call me today. I told my agent, like, nobody's calling me. What's up? I'm expected to be a priority free agent. And he's like, yeah, hold on. We'll see what happens. Uh, and then kind of soon after that, my phone rang. It was some weird USA area code. Answer the phone. It was the Falcons. I'm, I answer it. When they say Falcons, I'm thinking, all right, here it comes. You're saying, we want you to sign with us after the draft. So it was stuff like that. Because I really didn't talk to them pre-draft that much. 
they start passing the phone around to the whole organization. <laughs> Linebacker coach, Coach Olbrick, defensive coordinator, Marquand Manuel, Coach Quinn, and then finally Arthur Blank. And he's like, you ready to be a Falcon? I was like, whoa. Like, yeah. <laughs> I said, we're going to take you with the next pick. So at that point, when they took me, I already had the mindset, like, as soon as this draft's over, I'm going to get back up to school, start training more football stuff. Because at that point, you do all combine training. I was playing a whole new position. I was playing linebacker instead of defensive back. And when you come as a rookie, it's already 80, 90 guys. And plus all the rookies are going to bring around 100 guys. Only 53 guys make that opening day roster. And then some practice squad guys, 10 practice squad guys. So I'm thinking like, just because I get drafted, I'm, I'm going to carry myself as the priority free agent that I thought I would be. I think it better if I want to make the team. That's the only thing that was going through my mind. Like, it was definitely a relief knowing I'm going to Atlanta, but nothing was guaranteed about making that team. So I don't really like all these people congratulating me and stuff <laughs> because you get all this congratulations and attention. You don't make the team embarrassing to me. So I just w- wanted to think about what I had to do next. So when I think about it now, like going back, like when I see my name, the picture, like I was on the phone, I was at my coach's house. He took a picture of me. I didn't have a draft party. See my name pop up on the TV. That was surreal. That was crazy because like I never got no attention like that in terms of like ESPN. I never seen that for real and it's to see my name foyer shade aluakin on the screen with the falcons emblem or falcons logo that's just what you dream about as a, as a kid like being drafted to the nfl is definitely a blessing so it's very cool to think about we are talking to jacksonville jaguars linebacker foyer aluakin he's the leading tackler last year in the nfl it's crazy with all those great defensive players all those great linebackers and even here in new york cj mosley foyer led the league in tackles throughout the nfl it's a fantastic feat the jacksonville jaguars last season. They had a fantastic season. You guys made the playoffs, but I think the transition of the season happened when you played the Titans. Am I right or wrong? That game against the Titans, after you knocked off the Titans 36-22, you went on a winning streak. You knocked off the Cowboys, then you beat the Jets, then you beat the Texans. Your team got hot. What was it like going on a winning streak like that? Coach Peterson told us that our most meaningful games we played at the end of the season, which I feel like any coach will tell you, but even when things were going awry, when they weren't going well, he just said, keep believing in it because we'll be playing in meaningful games at the end of the season to make the playoffs. And we came off a bye week after we lost to the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. We beat the Ravens. The Ravens, they were supposed to make the playoffs. We beat the Chargers earlier in the year who were a playoff team pretty soundly. Lost to the Eagles by like a touchdown or two. Pretty back and forth game. We just turned the ball over too much. Defense didn't make enough stops. But we felt that we had enough talent in the room that we could definitely make some shape. Just weren't winning games. And we had to learn how to win the end of half and win the end of games in order to win games. But a lot of games in our losing streak, we were losing at the very end or we might be up and have a turnover we might be up and have a critical couple downs that we didn't get off the field and and they end up winning the game we just learned kind of how to win from those losses and then after we beat the Ravens we went to Detroit and we got our ass beat in Detroit we got our ass beat pretty soundly give them all the credit but we didn't come out with the right energy so then for the rest of the year at least as a defense we just focused on bringing the right energy to games in the way game when we lost that way but just bring no matter where we're playing no matter who we're playing we're going to bring winning energy playing for each other playing for our brothers to the game and that's when the winning streak really started obviously we beat Tennessee it felt good at that point I told my closest friend I'm not really worried about the playoffs I'm just trying to play every game just like that we kept winning and then eventually got down to the last two games which when we were in beat the Texans that beat 
Tennessee again to get into the playoffs. That was a playoff game right there in itself, but we had just been so used to bringing the right energy, playing the right way, playing winning football at the end of half and the games in order to make it in, that it kind of seemed like no matter what was going to happen, we was going to make it in. It's funny, my brother actually, he has a friend that's a Titans fan, so we actually bet him at the start of the month of December that, watch out, the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to come back and win the division at the time when you guys were like three games back. I forget how much money he ended up winning, but he ended up winning <laughs> that bet. So he was rooting for you guys hard right at the end of the season. <laughs> that's good. It was funny. Hope so he's rooting for us this year again. I know that'd be hard. Don't no, worry, you're on my bandwagon for you guys smoking the Chargers. Foya, you're in a division that is definitely winnable. Who's going to challenge you in a division? You have a new coach in Indianapolis, okay? The Texans, Tennessee Titans are done. And Aaron Rodgers is not going to Tennessee. Right now, they're in the move of probably trading Derrick Henry. So they're pretty much rebuilding. Your team is the team to beat in that division. After what you did last year, your defense and your quarterback. You have one of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL right now. We definitely have the talent in the room to make some noise again but it's going to be different because a lot of teams are going to see us as the team to beat at least in the division so we're going to get everybody's best shot which is a whole different challenge in itself which we have to learn how to play against everybody's a game yeah yeah. the jacksonville jaguar say oh they're supposed to be the up-and-coming team and Mm -hmm. stuff like we have to bring our a game we can't really sneak up on teams that means we have to be that much better to be able to be able to beat everybody at their best so you actually played college football at Yale, one of the high academic schools in the country. I actually grew up in Connecticut. I'm about 45 minutes from their campus. What town you grew up in? Uh, it's Redding, Connecticut. So it's about 45 minutes Redding? from there. Yeah. I don't know if I know that one. Yeah, it's it's kind of near far. Fairfield. I, yeah, yeah, Fairfield. Yeah, what was it like balancing out like academics and athletics being an Ivy League athlete? That was stressful. I talk about a lot of sleepless nights. All spring, I was going off four hours of sleep, three hours of sleep, waking up for spring ball, That's going me. to spring <laughs> practice, maybe going to that first class, coming home, sleeping between whatever time I had between between classes like an hour i learned how to sleep get a good nap in like 25 minutes still a little nap here go to class get another 35 minutes after lunch maybe go to lift after that get a little nap in before section and then do homework until what one o'clock go to sleep wake up five get back to the field like i just learned how to sleep here and there at that point a lot of the times the knock is on those high academic schools like do we really love the game or would you rather do something else when it doesn't go your way like at that point yeah i love the game like it's all optional at that point because we don't get full sky to go to Yale to play football once you're in you're into the school like I wanted to quit and just do school and focus on that I chose to keep playing football because I love playing sports and I love being around my boys and stuff but I just love competing as an athlete learning how to juggle it just made me better now because now I just have all this time in the world to just study my craft or work on my craft and then it's time management like instead of studying for my biology test which I wasn't even a <laughs> biology major now I get to study football stuff and formations and study myself and how to get better at my craft or what I want to do and life so it was definitely stressful put me through the ringer there but it was all for, for good reason we are talking to the jacksonville jaguars linebacker for you lua ken you're an undersized linebacker if you look at your size you're six foot two on file right now a pro football reference you're 215 pounds you're yeah, considered what's your weight I'm right much now? heavier than that non-disclosed i kind of <laughs> like this i'm up there close to 235 that's uh, how much i weigh but, right now but i'm not six foot two yeah, i do I like work out 215 because i think i sneak up on people from their scouting reports <laughs> i had to learn how to move with the added weight. I think it was rookie year that preseason. I, I hurt my foot during mandatory minicamp and then I just stayed in Atlanta for a month before we had to report back for preseason. Mm-hmm. I just had to lift. I, I might have biked some, but I couldn't put any weight on my toe for real without a little splint. I gained a lot of good weight there. Then next offseason, I cut some of that weight to gain better weight for the next season. I was able to keep my weight up above 230 because 
215 would be tough in this league, I'll oh, tell you that. I know a lot of ex-Jets that played safety. They draft him as a safety. I'm not going to mention names, but he played for Ohio State. They brought him in. He was a safety. They moved him to the linebacker position, and they tried to get him to gain like 20 pounds. It wasn't working. The heavier he got, the slower he got. To move up from you were six foot two, 215 to get to 230 and lead the league in tackles and be fast in the middle and be one of the leaders on that defense, it was unbelievable. You should be very proud of yourself, especially the way the Jacksonville Jaguars defense played throughout the second half of the season. Much appreciated. Thank you for that. It's funny you actually mentioned the misjudgment of their weight by uh, pro football reference. I think two of your Falcons teammates, too. Devondre Campbell and Deion Jones were both listed as 215, too, on their site. (laughs) You can blame Atlanta. They're trying to throw you under the bus. I remember playing that in franchise mode, like 2016. They were both listed as 230. (laughs) These sites list them at 215, 220. Which weight are you going to get with that? What were your favorite individual plays of the season? Also, your favorite team moments outside of that playoff game? The Chargers win was up there. The Tennessee win is up there. But that win against Dallas, that win in overtime, Mm -hmm. we got that pick six that was probably my favorite team moment that was crazy it was a must win game for us. we didn't know it was must win at the time but it was must win all those games going down the stretch we had to win them otherwise we weren't going to get in the playoffs and Tennessee magically kept losing it was definitely a cool experience favorite individual plays the little kick fumble that I had was fun this year <laughs> I went for the first strip I missed it because he back juked me and I was just trying to hold on to something I felt as I flipped over I was about to grab onto his ankle something hit my heel and I look up and the ball's in the air so I was like what it was against the Jets. I can tell you're a Jets fan. Talking about yes, I am. I'm already having a good game that game. Yeah, that was just icing on the cake right there. <laughs> well, I'm yeah. sure it was. Arrow was hyperventilating all night. We were on air during that as game. As soon as Speedy told me you were coming on the show, I remember that game, and I remember how well you played in that game. I was so upset after you guys beat us. But you had a really good game. My favorite linebacker coach at the time, now I got a good one here in Jacksonville, Tony Gilbert, but Jeff Obert, he's the defensive coordinator there, so we had a good catching up. But I didn't want to play bad in front of him, for sure. He's the one who taught me a lot of the things that I use today. So I didn't want to go out there and not play well while he's watching me from the other <laughs> sideline. We are talking to Jacksonville Jaguars linebacker Foyer Aluakin. You have a player that's going to be joining your team this year. He was traded at the trade deadline last year. Calvin Ridley. He's a fantastic player. You know him very well. He played in Atlanta with what Christian Kirk put up, the numbers he put up this year. A lot of people were taking shots at the Jaguars for paying him as much as they did. Nobody thought he was the number one wide receiver, but he proved everybody wrong. Arizona made a big mistake not bringing him back and now you have two legitimate wide receivers on your roster what do you think this offense could be this year with those two weapons we got even more than that we got evan we got travis Mm -hmm. we got jay jones it's just so fast it was fast last year before calvin came i just remember telling my boy isaiah oliver who's with the 49ers now like Mm -hmm. these boys in jacksonville they'd be running they just keep running like the play goes on they just take off and they're (laughs) they're gone but it's definitely exciting being able to have so many options on offense praying everybody stays healthy praying everybody has a great year could definitely be dangerous because you really have to guard everybody on the offense and i know coach Peterson, you know, the whole offensive staff would definitely draw up some good things as they did last year and uh, definitely utilize every weapon. Week to week, have favorable matchups in which everyone wants to get utilized. They'll do. My job is to get the ball back to them and watch them work, give them more possessions in the game because with all this talent, they can't do nothing unless they're on the field. So get them the ball and watch them work and hopefully you know, score a lot of touchdowns. I'm definitely excited to see it. A player that played here in New York that one of the teams just parted ways with pretty much just said Sayonara had his best season as an NFL player. A player that became a big weapon for your team. Evan Ingram had a fantastic yeah. season. Tell us a little bit about him. What was it like playing with him on the roster with the Jacksonville Jaguars? Yes. Yeah, 
so a lot of our, the guys that we brought in that year, uh, a lot of our free agents, I remember first day of free agency, like five of us signed. We all came in on the same little trip to sign our little contract. We're all sitting in the SUV to go from our physical to our contract signing. I realized we all had stuff still left to prove. Christian Kirk, people saying that he wasn't worth the money. Evan Ingram was going to come in on a one-year deal. Things didn't go the way he wanted in New York. Foley, he was kind of an undernamed guy like myself coming in from the Jets. Brandon Please. Sheriff, I didn't really know much about his story, but they seemed like he still wanted to come in, lead a room, and keep writing his story here in Jacksonville. Everybody here came, one, to be part of like a good team, but everybody still had like a little chip on their shoulder. like They wanted to better themselves even while here. We haven't made it yet. We still had better football left to play. Even Calvin's kind of on the same thing. Like He's mm-hmm. coming in. He's not trying to sit back and rest on whatever he did earlier in his career. He's trying to come and prove that he's still the receiver that I know him to be. So we kind of all had that mindset and then coming and seeing Evan like work. He's working all practice. He's doing extra gassers. He's doing extra sprints. He's going in his offseason, his downtime, working on his routes. I saw he had another kind of route coach that he took the routes that he ran here, basically took it to another person and said, how do I make it better? That's just what I'm guessing he's done. I saw a little Instagram video and now he's running. He was running routes really crisp. Like that's what he needed to do to get better. He's working on his hands and working on his run after the catch and then you see him in the game catching crazy balls running 80 yards after catch stiff arming sauce gardener on the jets like it was really <laughs> crazy. there he like, goes again his year was just so crazy but it's not nothing that i wasn't expecting like i'm a big fan of his just seeing his work ethic and the confidence that he had in himself to perform out there and then to seeing it all come to life on sundays like i wasn't surprised i was just sitting back watching it happen being his biggest cheerleader on the sideline his nickname here in new york was pot hands he dropped the ball a significant amount of times in big games mm-hmm. I was ready to run him out. You guys fan, made him so much better. <laughs> and what he did this year, he was one of the best tight ends in football this year. He was a top five year. fantasy tight end. He was yeah. fantastic. And I don't know what Doug Peterson did. I have no idea what he said to him, but he's a completely different player with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And that has a lot to do with Doug Peterson. What is it like playing under Doug Peterson? He has a lot of confidence in the team that he has, I think. He definitely wants it to be the kind of players running stuff, but he's seen good things. He's won a Super Bowl. And even when, let's say, we lost five games, straight. He said, well, I've had a team that lost five games straight, but they also won five games straight. So the whole time we're like, oh, we could be that team too. Like he knows how to motivate us without being that rah-rah, yell at us guys. But he also expects the best from us, expects our best efforts. He has that standard where if you're not giving your best effort, he's going to tell you unless you know about it too. But everybody here was just looking for the right direction, especially how it seemed that went the year before I got here. Everybody was looking for the right direction and the coach that they trusted. And we put our trust in, in Coach Peterson that he was going to lead us the right way. And then when did what he told us, the season turned out well for us. So we heard earlier this week, Damar Hamlin, who had the freak accident, he wants to make an NFL comeback. So you being an active player, first of all, where were you when that went down on Monday Night Football? And also, are you surprised that he's trying to pursue himself back into the NFL? Where I was, I was on my couch watching the game, which I usually don't watch the full game. I usually wait for the highlights of Monday Night Football, especially if we play Sunday. I need to get away from it because we just did our lift on Monday. And I just want to take my Monday night into Tuesday kind of away from the game before I start studying for the next opponent on Tuesday. That night, I happened to be watching the game half on my phone on my couch, kind of just chilled out watching. And then I just noticed the stop of play. I watched the play happen and then the stop of place. And I'm like, what just happened? Like, I don't really know what happened. Then they keep showing a replay. I'm just making up stuff in my head. Like, oh, he probably got a concussion. He'll be fine. Like, he just got his head run. Like, he didn't know he stood up and went back down. I'm just making up scenarios in my head of what happened that wouldn't, to me, scare me. Then I'm like, yeah, if it was bad, like, they would show all the players crying and stuff like if it was really bad like it was bad and i saw somebody really down that way i'm not even gonna be on the field i'm gonna be like looked off the other way right then they kind of get zoomed in on players and i can just tell by 
the face like oh it's really not good they're talking about ambulance came like oh that's probably just protocol like just making sure it's not that bad and the more and more news came and i was just wrong about everything i didn't want it to be that bad thankfully they brought him back in the time that they needed to for him to have a full recovery that's definitely a blessing but it was definitely awkward to go into practice Wednesday, which is our hardest day of practice, and I have to do football stuff because I remember some reporter asked me, like, oh, how do you feel about it? Like, at this point, I was leading the league in tackles, and he was just making a normal tackle. I'm like, right. how do you think I feel about it? It's different because it was not, like, some pre-exposed stuff. It could happen to any of us at any time. Of course. They said it was very rare, but it still happened to anybody. One so. out of 22 million. That is crazy. Watching it. I was actually at Miller's Ale House. I was eating my wings, mm. and I was like, why is the game stop? It was quiet. I was like, what's going on? And then they said DeMar Hamlin fell. He tackled, he fell, and he's out. And I said, what do you mean he's out? Somebody said he stopped breathing. I was like, how do you stop breathing? I've never heard yeah. of this before. And I've never seen the NFL cancel a game like that before. It was a big game for like playoff implications. 100%. Too, and it killed people in their fantasy leagues. I'm sitting damn. here. I'm like, who cares about your damn fantasy leagues? Right. Somebody could have died on the field. Does it really matter if you lost seven, $800? This guy could have mm. lost his life. It exactly. was disgusting. It was sad. But everybody stood behind him. And he is such a good person. I'm so happy he is going to move forward and try to get back into the NFL. He's a smart yeah. kid, and I think if there's anybody that could do it, it's DeMar. So it was an unbelievable story. Right, so am I surprised that mm -hmm. he's doing it? Mm -hmm. Obviously, I'm not in his shoes, and it didn't happen to me, but I don't think I'm surprised that he's going to try to play. But I think that if it was me, I would have to be repeatedly told how rare it was. So for, I'm not more likely for it, something to happen again like that. But when you're in the NFL, like you don't want to leave. It's just so much. It's such a blessing to be here. You know how much you fight for it every day, and he's fought for it his whole life to get to this point where if you're told you're going to be perfectly fine, which I'm hoping that he was told, I'm hoping he's going to be perfectly fine going forward that I've been blessed with all of these talents in my life to be able to be in this position. And the doctor's telling me I'm going to be perfectly fine to keep going. I don't know why I would just stop. Obviously, I'll be scared and I probably have to get a couple of tackles out the way to make sure I'm all good. I might be a little half step slow at first, but it's not even learning how to walk because you're walking good. Learning how to play, right. just trust yourself in the game again. So I'm definitely wishing the best for him. I definitely support his decision to keep playing. And I'm just hoping that just like he was told all these things, like it's not future health risks no. and stuff for him to keep going. Actually, he was not breathing for almost seven minutes and he has yeah. no neurological problems. It's an amazing story. When you stop breathing for about three minutes, Minutes, you're going to have neurological problems and he has not one it's crazy to stop breathing no oxygen going to your brain it's crazy never heard of anything like that before we are talking to jacksonville jaguars linebacker foyer aluikin the nfl drafts next week what do you think the jacksonville jaguars need to do to make your team a super bowl contender next year we need to play better than we did last year <laughs> I don't really know who we need to bring. I'm watching this draft. I'll be just as shocked as everybody else. We lost blocking tight ends. Mm -hmm. Chris Manhurts. We have Walker. Lost the offensive lineman. We lost Arden Key. He's not the GM. Where did you get your name? Foyer. Foyer Shade is the full name. It's Nigerian. Mm -hmm. My parents are both from Nigeria. Mm -hmm. And it fits kind of what they wanted of me. Full name basically means the one with intelligence wears the crown. Mm -hmm. And then my middle name means love knowledge. And then my last name is a, there's a whole backstory about an added letter in there but it's basically like the Yoruba, which is the Nigerian language, Nigerian tribe that they're from. Yoruba, goddess, god of the water. Kind of like Poseidon, but this African tribe. Oh, I've got the Greek gods on my arm right here. Every name, Nigerian name, is going to have a meaning. So when you start hearing all these vowels and stuff go out, a lot of them have a meaning. A lot of times you kind of put a letter or something in between to make it all flow, but they all mean something. 
So my name has that meaning. You're one of my favorite players that we've interviewed. And I'm not trying to blow your head up. We've interviewed a lot of guys. You, your personality, what you're doing right now for the Jacksonville Jaguars organization, and what you've done back-to-back years leading the league in tackles is unbelievable. Keep up the good work. We would love to get you on again. I know during the season you're very, very busy, but maybe the middle of the season when you have your break, we would love to get you on and, and talk about where Jacksonville is in the middle of the season. But keep up the good work, my friend. Yes, sir. Thank you for that. It was definitely great getting on here and talking with y'all. Absolutely. And maybe in the future you play for my Jets. I mean, the Jets. Hopefully (laughs) I can stay here in Jacksonville for as long as I I know. I I wish nothing but the best for you, man. You keep up the good work. You had a great season. If you have another season like that this year, you're going to be a pro ball player. You absolutely deserve it. You're a fantastic young player. You're still 27 years old and a smart guy. You went to Yale. There you go, my friends. Thank you, Foyer. All right. Enjoy your night. Ladies and gentlemen, Foyer Aluakin, he was fantastic. Great personality, great interview. I could see why he is one of the faces and one of the dominant forces to this defense moving forward going into this season. I think this will be a pro ball season for the first time in his career. It should be. The last two years, you look at 192 combined tackles. How did he not become a pro ball <laughs> yeah, this year? it's a popularity contest, unfortunately. The way every all-star slash pro bowl voting is. It flew under the radar with the Falcons. Again, he wasn't a starter his rookie year. He played a lot because of all the injuries they had his rookie season and then now with the Falcons and the Jaguars back-to-back seasons the league's leading tackler 192 and 184 total tackles he definitely has some interesting things to say about his team and taking some shots too at the Cowboys and of course at the Chargers and the Jets so thank you <laughs> to our friend Foyer when we come back Moneyline Mania without Chaz and Wes we will have John and Paolo from Greece when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch we are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy PD. Remember, kill us in our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Thank you to Foyer Aluakin for joining us. He was fantastic. The NFL's leading tackler last year and could be uh, a pro ball player. Moving forward, I think he's fantastic for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we call this segment Money Line Mania. This is Money Line Mania with Chaz and the crew. No Chaz tonight, taking care of some family stuff. Wes is not here tonight. He's chefing. Congratulations to Wes with the birth of his son. But we have another guy who also had a birth of a child. John, a.k.a. Mad Dog Mania, and Mr. Paolo over there in Greece. What's going on, boys? Going good. Time to make some money this weekend. And how about you, John? How are you? Yeah, we're good. The birth is kicking my butt tired all the time now. But we got a big weekend. We got fight coming up later tonight. Playoff hockey, playoff NBA. Baseball is getting in full swing. So we got a lot going on. The Davis and Ryan fight this week? Yeah, tonight. Tank and uh, Ryan Garcia. I think what makes it the more interesting, I don't know if you heard, they are fighting for their purses. They came out and they were on an Instagram live. They made a verbal agreement that they would win or take off. I'm assuming they got their lawyers involved and, and made sure that it's in the contract now i think that's a terrible idea by both fighters i think it's really hard to get to that level in your career i think it's really hard to get to a point where you are main event on a pay-per-view 
card. Me, take my 50 million, win or lose, and I'm, I'm cool. Got your family to take care of. I think I understand why you're doing it. It's cockiness. You don't want to seem like the guy that doesn't expect it. Yeah, it's cockiness. But I think it's a terrible idea. I yeah. like King Ryan. I think he's a fantastic fighter, but I also like Tank. I think it'll be very, very close. I think Ryan will keep it close. Ryan hits really, really hard. And if Ryan catches Tank, he can knock him out. Just as much as if Tank catches Ryan, he can knock him out. Who is the all-around better fighter? Paulo, how are you doing over there in Greece? Is it good? Is it clean? Is it rainy? Is it Every, sunny? Everything is going good. I go back and forth, traveling at different places. As long as we're making money, everything is fine. You need to make my money for me. I'll give you my first play that I really like. I like the Toronto Maple Leafs in the money line. I think they're going to go into Tampa. They might even win both games. You believe in Toronto, a team that hasn't gotten out of the first round in almost 20-some-odd years. I know. I believe in them because Tampa is missing two key components on defense. Mm-hmm. Victor Hedman yeah. could be back. If he comes back, you're not going to miss two key defensemen. But yes, right now they're down two defensemen. Tomorrow, the game I really like, even though the odds are low, but I think that Liverpool tomorrow is going to score goals. I see this game going over two and a half goals. I can see Liverpool winning by two goals. Liverpool lately has been just exploding. The last game they played against Lee, they scored six. The more they're playing at home against Nottingham, there's no way that Nottingham can beat with Liverpool. So I see an easy win, goals, and Liverpool to win big. My other play that I like in soccer, one in the Spanish league. I like Barcelona to win. Barcelona hasn't scored a goal in the past three games. Wow. They're playing at home against Atletico Madrid. They're 2-1 to one odds. I love Barcelona this week. I think they're going to win. I think they're going to break out of this lump they're in they're too good a team not to be scoring goals because Atletico yeah they're good defensively but this year Barcelona's running away with the league in the Italian I like Napoli to draw or win against Juventus at 1.47 I don't know how you think Toronto is going to win those games in Tampa Bay now Tampa is missing two key components there's no question that they are but I think Victor Hedman will be back on Saturday I also believe that Tampa Bay is still the favorites of coming out of this series now Toronto has the talent. Toronto has the offensive firepower. You saw that in game number two. But I think Tampa has the pedigree. They're a championship organization that's won multiple championships over the last couple of years. They have a championship coach, and they have championship players. I don't know if Toronto knows what the word championship means. They do. They just have to go back to 1967 to find it. We were all not born. We were not even thought of. We were seen in our parents, you know what. Toronto's winning this series. Tampa Bay is not beating Toronto. So, we had a little bit of a disagreement off air. John, why are you high on the Bruins? They have been the absolute best team this year. They did have that bad showing in game two, Hallmark, letting up six, and he bounced back in, in game three to take the 2-1 lead to grab the series back. I think they're the best team, and for me, I'm like, not going to beat the best, and then you're the best. They had a historic season, right? They're the most best points. Yeah, they had the most points. Their goaltender had every single goaltending statistic, the trifecta this year. How many times do you see a goalie win the trifecta? Yeah. And Allmark is fantastic, but he just lost his starting job for Swayman, a young goaltender that a lot of people thought you might not see him all throughout the playoffs. He had a bad game in game number two. You see Swayman in game number three, and he played a fantastic game. He kept the Boston Bruins in the game against Florida. Florida's a good offensive team. They're not a good defensive team, and their goaltending has been skeptic. It's so open this series, but Boston is the best team. They had the best record throughout the season, and the Rangers are red hot, and everybody says, oh, nobody can beat the Rangers. The Rangers look good right now. They're playing a Devils team that is young. They're playing a Devils team that's never been here before. When you look at the players that they added, Tarasenko, Patrick Kane, 
Of course you would think what they're doing to the Devils, nobody could beat them. Hockey is all about matchups, and if you walk into a series against a goaltender that you can't put the puck in the net against, that doesn't mean you're going to win. Vanacek, is not a consistent goaltender. When you have to go and play against a Vasilovsky or a Sorokin or any one of these elite goaltenders, then you got to play at your A game. So it's not going to be as easy as it's been against the Devils and Vanacek. Paula, why do you not like the Bruins as much? The Boston Bruins are a team that's actually overrated. If Boston plays a team like Edmonton or the Vegas Golden Knights, they're not going to win. Boston is big favorite to win the Stanley Cup, but they're not going to win. Even the Rangers can beat the Bruins. And I'll tell you why. The Bruins, they got Bergeron and they got Marchand. If you really look at the goaltending the Rangers have compared to the goaltending that the Bruins have, the Rangers got one of the best goalies in the league. The Rangers got firepower up front. Kane, Tarasenko. Boston is not as good defensively as people think they are. Because if you really look at the series against Florida. In the second game, six goals, Boston is not going to lose to Florida. But when Boston faces tough teams, there you're going to see that Boston is vulnerable. I think using the word overrated, I don't think they're overrated. I think they're properly rated all year long, 65 games. They lost 12 and had 12 overtime defeats. They might lose. You might be 100% right. They might have got through the season and hit some of their deficiencies, but I don't think they're overrated. I mean, I don't think you have a team that wins that much, that high of a rate. And the way they were doing it, I mean, for the first three months and they had four losses, they weren't losing to anybody. Mm. They were playing teams like Edmonton. They were playing teams like the Golden Knights. They were playing teams like the Devils and the Rangers. And they were still winning. Now it is playoff time. Hallmark, you look at his goals against average in the playoffs. This is his sixth playoff start. Is he going to be able to produce big-time moments? That was still up in the air. I do think they're going to take care of Florida 4-1, go on to the next series, and see if he can continue that success. I do think that overrated for the Boston Bruins is not what they are. I think they're properly rated. They're a good team. If you beat them, you're a really good team. But I think Boston's a team to beat, and just the record shows it. All right, John, you have any plays that you like for this week? Nothing short of drama in the NBA. The hometown New York Knicks, right, mm-hmm. uh, will be taking on a, a Cavs team that's reeling from a 2-1 defeat right now. I'm sorry, guys. I got to be on the Cavaliers. I think the Cavaliers tied this up. I do think that taking one in New York is not as hard as people think it is. Look, they're a better road team. The Knicks have done better on the road. They have tended to struggle throughout the season at home. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that they do lose this game and that they would go back and win in Cleveland. This is one of those series where home court may not mean as much. I think one of the best pickup moves in the last five seasons, off-season signings, Jalen Brunson. I think mm-hmm. that was a steal for the New York Knicks. I think the Mavericks, they didn't want to pay him. Kind of understand why. Tweaky guy last year, especially in the playoffs. He would score 30 and score three. Didn't know what you were going to get consistency-wise. I think they're kicking themselves for not signing this man at 100 million. I think that would have been a better Dallas Mavericks team than what they put together and what they put out there this year. I do think the Knicks win this series. I'm going to go Cavaliers to even the series up in New York. One of the worst officiated series I think we've seen in a long time. Warriors, Kings. Golden State Warriors need to shut. They've got <laughs> a plethora of valuable calls in the past few years. I think the league is making too much of an effort to like correct that wrong, and I hate that they do very poorly officiated game. Um, I do think you're going to see much of the same. Golden State's home cook, you know, they're going to get the ball going. They're going to get Jordan Poole going. I'm not saying they're better without Draymond Green. I have to do without Draymond Green was play like a four-out one-inch and get Looney inside, right, get the boards, get that dirty work. And you got four guys on the outside that can shoot with Steph, Clay, Andrew Wiggins, phenomenal, and Jordan Poole even got going. 
I think that's kind of a lethal combination. Now it's 7.5 points. I think that after a blowout in game three, teams can keep it close. I still think Golden State Warriors at 7.5. I know Draymond comes back. It's going to be some tense moments probably between him, Sabonis. It's starting to become a rivalry. Two teams pretty close in proximity to each other. Sacramento just an hour and a half north of Golden State. So I do think it's going to become a very big rivalry. But 7.5 points to me, I think well within the number to keep it in. And then I'm going to go with this Boston Celtics. I thought it was going to be a 4-0, 5-1 kind of situation with Atlanta. Atlanta got their game. I honestly thought they were going to get game four. Gentlemen sweep, losing five. I think Boston's the better team. I think Boston's got not the better coach, but he's been there all year, right? Quinn Snyder's this season. I'll lay the six points. I think that Boston takes a commanding 3-1 lead, heads back to Boston. A lot of people are looking at this Tampa-Toronto series like you heard Paulo say. If you're looking at the money line, a lot of people have Toronto winning this game going into Tampa. Tampa's one of the best home teams in the NHL. Very sound defensive team at home. More sound than they are away. So I don't think it's going to be that easy. I know everybody has the Rangers winning tomorrow. This is the game the Rangers are going to lose. I think the Rangers win the two games after this, but this is the game. Madison Square Garden, everybody thinks that the Rangers are going to go into Madison Square Garden and dominate. I think this is the game where the Devils will show up, they'll keep the game close, and they'll find a way to win this game. Bet the money line, Devils. What the Rangers did to the Devils in the Prudential Center back-to-back games is completely dominate. The Devils will show up in Madison Square Garden tonight and they're going to play a big game. They're going to use their speed. Timo Meyer's actually going to start using his body in this series, which he hasn't yeah. been doing. And I expect the Devils to pull out this win. This is the only game the Devils will win in this series. The one thing that the Rangers have that the Devils don't have is goaltending. Mm-hmm. Vanacek is an average goalie. The Rangers have one of the best goalies. One thing that Boston doesn't have that the Rangers have. Shesterking, yeah, and it's Moulton, fantastic. He's one of the best. He can steal games for you. And if you look at most of the playoff teams. Which playoff team besides Tampa Bay and Vasilevsky? The Islanders, Sorokin. If Toronto doesn't get goaltending, yeah, they'll lose. I've got two winners for all of you guys tomorrow. I've got Tampa winning at home. There's no way Tampa's going to lose the first game at home. I have Tampa winning on the line. I have the Devils going into Madison Square Garden and knocking off the Rangers. I think Allmark has proven over 40 games. They look pretty good, huh? 0.89 goals against average. I think he's the best. I don't think there's anybody close. Who cracked under two with that many starts and that many... Olmark was the definitely the best goaltender in the NHL this year. Goals against save percentage, wins. He had the trifecta. But... He has not played well so far in the first two games, and that's why Swayman played in game number three. And it's Swayman's job to lose now. I think Swayman will start game number four no matter what because he won game three. And if he continues to win, just like the Islanders did when they went all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals the last time they made that run against Tampa, when Sorokin was winning, they kept the hot goalie in. So as good as Olmark was this year, Swayman is a young, talented goalie who had a very good season too. His goals against average – Twos. His save percentage was 920. If he played as many games as Hallmark did, he probably has the same numbers as Hallmark. So they have two fantastic goaltenders. One a little bit older than the other. Hallmark had a good game one. He had a bad game two. Switch the goalie. You're not just going to pull him. And then that could hurt your confidence to mm-hmm. going in. You're not trying to pull the guy and be like, you're done for right now. 
I feel like they're going to be able to work both goalkeepers in. How many teams can say that confident in two goalkeepers? I would say Boston and the Islanders. Volamov has won in the playoffs. He's a great playoff goalie. And then Sorokin, who's this year a top three goaltender in the league. Paolo, the last thing we'll do is uh, your question. So, Paolo, what do you think about the Phoenix Suns? I think that the Phoenix Suns are going to win the West. I can see them going all the way. I had them at the start of the season winning it all, but they have not impressed me so far. They've played only half quarters of good basketball. And here's why. Kawhi Leonard is not playing tomorrow. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard will be out. I cannot see Phoenix losing against the Clippers. I'm pretty high on, on Phoenix Suns, especially when they got Grant all around talent, one of the best in the game, top five to score. If he's healthy, they're going to be a tough out. My problem with the Phoenix Suns is their depth. Regular season, we utilize some guys off the bench for production. Playoffs playing 37 minutes and using 15 points from your bench. Long-term success in the playoffs, you need your role guys to be in their role and contribute. Can Phoenix sustain this level of contribution from their bench and just solely rely on Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, they need the ball in their hand, Chris Paul, who can facilitate in DeAndre Ayton. You need your fifth guy to step up. You need your sixth and your seventh guy to step up. I think in the playoffs, that's where they might seem to fail a little bit. I chose them to win it. Especially when coming to the beginning of the season, I had Sixers versus the Suns going into the finals. After the first three games, I'm not so sure. Look, they struggled in game two. They did pull away, but they were tied at half. That was a game Kawhi did play. Why wouldn't you sit him in game two, have him ready for game three, which is a pivotal game? Why would you go 1-1? doesn't make a lot of sense to me about the Clippers. I think they can win this series. Chalk up the sun. They need a lot more from a lot of their guys. They're not beating the Nuggets. As much as I like Phoenix, I think Denver is on their path this year. I cannot see Denver losing again this year. They have, I believe, the best player in the world in Jokic. Back-to-back-to-back years. Murray looks like he's healthy. He's been important to this team. You have Porter. And you have one of the best benches in the NBA, if not the best bench in the NBA. I don't see that series going past five games. And the Phoenix series, now that Kawhi Leonard could be out for at least one or two games and Paul George being out, I think this series could go even faster. I think Phoenix wins this series four games to two. So they're playing Denver next. With Denver, if they can get through Denver, they have a good chance after to win it all. I think the Nuggets are the team to beat in the playoffs. They have a tremendous amount of depth. They have one superstar in the team. Murray, is he a superstar? No. Is he an all-star? Yeah, he's a borderline all-star. Porter, he's a great shooter, but he's a hot and cold shooter. What makes Denver so good is their bench and their team defense and they're a very good rebounding team and they have the best big man when it comes to passing the ball. You have a big man that is like a point guard, a general on the court there is not many teams that have a player that dominate on all aspects of his game. So if they're matched up against Phoenix, I think Denver is going to breeze all the way into the Western Conference and then the championship. I thought Phoenix, I don't trust what we have seen so far against the Clippers. The Clippers are not even a hundred percent healthy. They haven't had Paul George. They haven't had Kawhi Leonard. Still having problems with the Clippers. It's been an ugly series, and a lot of these series have been ugly. The Cleveland Cavaliers and Knicks have been a very ugly series. As a matter of fact, I think the Knicks game number two, I think they shot like 23%. An NBA basketball team shooting 25-30%. That doesn't sell to me as an NBA playoff team. Even peewee basketball teams, your team, John, probably shoots better than that. And game number three, they shot a little bit better, but how much better? Even the Boston series, they lose game number three against the Atlanta Hawks. The Atlanta Hawks have looked like crap in this series. And the fact that they went in Atlanta and finally won a game was impressive. If you look at the numbers, Tatum didn't have one of those big games. Jalen Brown looked better than he did in game number two. 
and they weren't getting enough defensively. Boston, if they play like that against an Atlanta Hawks team that shouldn't even be there, they're not going to move on after they get out of this series. They have to play defense. The Eastern Conference, it's all about who wants it the most. If the Knicks get out of Cleveland, Milwaukee's a good team, defensive team. The question is, is Giannis 100% healthy? Is he 90% healthy? If Giannis isn't 100% healthy, Milwaukee's in trouble. And the 76ers, I don't trust the 76ers. As good as Joel Embiid is, he's fantastic. I don't trust Doc Rivers. I think he's one of the most overrated coaches in NBA history. I don't trust the 76ers. I think this team is overrated. The coach... Forget about it. I don't bet any money on them. I don't actually like the 76ers. I agree that Doc Rivers is overrated, but I think Embiid's a freaking man. Oh, he's a beast. Uh, James yeah. Harden is good. You got Maxi playing. I think this is a team that's probably getting a little overlooked, partially because of Doc Rivers. And I think they can surprise people. I have them going, getting out of the East. Wow. I actually think they're better together team than the Boston Celtics. They actually have a slight coaching advantage only because this is a guy that took over the Boston team in some controversy, right, with the head coach getting right. fired. They kind of stepped in as the interim. You look at experience, who's got the experience, right. good or bad, Doc Rivers. Give me the Sixers. I have Tank beating Ryan Garcia. Nobody's knocking anybody out. I believe Tank will hit the canvas at least once, and I believe Ryan Garcia will hit the canvas at least once. But I think Tank wins on points. I think it's a split decision. I think Tank wins, keeps his title. I'm actually going to take Ryan Garcia plus 800 to win. I think his output is going to be more. I do think in the first few rounds, he probably outpoints Tank. I'm going to kind of use that. He does enough in the point system to outpace tank i think it's gonna be a very close fight i think it's gonna be an aggressive fight i think these guys sometimes these fighters talk a lot of crap these guys actually hate each other which makes the fights a little bit more interesting and i do believe it's gonna be a close fight i'm just taking it purely i'm getting plus 800 it goes to the decision ryan garcia wins it's a small bet for me but at plus 800 don't bet it tank is the better fighter <laughs> i watch boxing i think Tank will win this fight. Tank throws a lot more punches. Ryan throws hard. Tank has never fought a guy that's hit as hard as Ryan. But if you can't catch a guy, you're not going to be able to hit him. And Ryan's never fought a guy that can hit as hard as Tank. So I think both guys are going to hit the canvas. If you want to bet that in a parlay, I think both guys, one way or another, are going to hit the canvas in this fight. But I think Garcia will lose this fight. Tank will win by points. Remember, Tank is the champion. You have to beat the champion flat out to win this fight. And I don't know if Ryan's going to do enough to beat Tank. So I think it'll be a close fight. But if anybody's going to knock anybody out, I think Tank knocks out Ryan. Ryan will not knock out Tank. All right, boys. Thank you, Paulo. Enjoy Greece. I know it's beautiful over there. The water's beautiful. Stay away from the sharks, my friend. Stay away. The great whites are all over the place. Let's see tomorrow how we do, boys. We'll talk again. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Johnny boy, thank you as always. Say hello to the wife. Take care of that kid of yours, my friend. Will do, man. Appreciate y'all for having me. We will talk soon, man. Absolutely. Take care, guys. John, my man, and Paolo over there in Greece. It's fantastic. Those are two really, really good guys. Chaz, hopefully everything's okay with your fam. Wes, stay out of trouble. No, the Rangers aren't winning the Stanley Cup. No, the Golden State Warriors aren't winning the championship. So you can take that to the bank. When we come back, Speedy, what do we got? A sticky situation in MLB and crunch time. Here on the Weekend Crunch. We 
are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crouch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week. They are live that we have on our network throughout the week. The Yankees starting pitcher Domingo Harmon was checked for a foreign substance on Saturday against the Twins after pitching three perfect innings. The umpires claimed it was just an axis of rosin, not any legal foreign substances, and he was told to wash his hands. Herman finished with six and one-third innings pitched, allowing just one run and three hits. Zero walks and 11 strikeouts. Now all of a sudden, Max Scherzer, he was found to have some foreign substance on his finger. Umpire told him to go wash his hand and change his glove. He comes back They look at his hand, and then they threw him out of the game. Now he is going to be suspended for 10 games. It doesn't make any sense how Herman wasn't thrown out of the game with the same rosin on his hand, and Max Scherzer was tossed. The same umpire that's thrown out three different pitchers. Phil Cuzzy, the umpire of the Mets and Dodgers series, is the same guy that threw out the other two pitchers. Maybe it's a coincidence. Max Scherzer did not look happy. I feel bad for the guy. And again, I don't think it has anything to do with the league protecting any Yankees. I know that's what everybody wants to believe. The evil empire, blah, 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 blah. This evil empire hasn't won a championship since 2009. I doubt the league was looking out for Domingo Harmon, the same guy that beat his wife. What I do believe is Max Scherzer did have a foreign substance. It probably was rosin. He said he swore on his kids. And this is why I believe baseball should Figure it out when the new CBA comes up. They shouldn't be throwing guys out of the game if they find a foreign substance. They should take a sample of the rosin or whatever it is on their finger. They don't throw them out of the game. Then they do tests on it. And if it is an illegal substance on the list of illegal substance that baseball has put on for pitchers to know that they can't use, then they should be suspended not for 10 games. They should be suspended for two games of their starts. Get caught a second time, it should be four games. If they get caught again, six games. One way or another, it should make sense for the league to protect themselves and for the pitcher not to get in trouble during the game. So I think it makes more sense that way than what they're doing right now, Speedy. Yeah, it definitely is a bad look for baseball the way it starts. It's a message for baseball, too, that you want to be harsher on these checks, but at the same time, you're also going to make it seem like, all right, maybe Max Scherzer getting suspended could create a new light to maybe avoid these types of substances. But at the same time, somebody like Domingo Homan coming back into the game, that's going to encourage some of these new substances to come out. And I think that's what I'm worried about with this with this new rule. And these there's going to be substances that aren't going to be found. And that's why you're saying it. Like, if you don't know what the substance is, you can't necessarily throw them out of the game. But at the same time, it's also going to encourage more pitchers to try to cheat, too. And you're going to get all these other things that are end up being caught. Because, yes, maybe... Domingo Harmon is not going to be as well-known of a name. They, all right, you're going to throw him out of the game. But somebody like Max Scherzer, that's a significant thing to the Mets' start, too. And Max Scherzer, again, you have to have no suspicion of doubt by any means, especially with the state the Mets' current starting rotation is. So him getting thrown out of the game, they didn't end up winning the game, but that's something that's not going to be sustainable long-term either. John Carlos Stanton suffers a strain left hamstring. He will be out about six weeks. I know Yankee fans are not very happy about this. John Carlos Stanton has not stayed healthy for the last couple of years. He's a $300 million player that's going to be paid close to $30 million this year. 
But this is what you have to pay for for a player that's breaking down. He also is a player that if he stays healthy for 130, 140 game, he's going to give you 30 to 35 home runs. He's going to give you over 100 RBIs, and he's going to give you power in the playoffs. So I know a lot of Yankee fans are not excited about this with the, all the injuries. The Yankees have 11 injuries right now. They have Oswald Pereza back up now after he lost a job to Anthony Volpe after spring training. But there is some reinforcements coming up. You have Harrison Bader right now in AAA. You have Donaldson, who should be back soon as well. So they have guys coming up. I expect Rodon to be up very, very soon as well. So they're going to be healthy guys, but you have to give the Yankees a lot of credit for all the injuries that they have. They lead the league in injuries right now. They're still winning. They're still in this race in the hardest division in baseball. So it says a lot about the Yankees organization and the Yankees team. And the way they've managed injuries, too, has been very impressive this year amidst all that, too. They had it a lot with their pitching. A lot of new young relief pitchers, especially, have pitched very well. You had a guy like Johnny Brito that pitched well the first couple starts, got bombed in his last one against the Twins. But still, they find these guys. Brian Cashman continues to find these guys. Aaron Boone, whatever they do, continues to do it well. As far as Giancarlo Stanton, they're going to have to try to keep him out of the outfield pretty much the rest of the year at this point. Uh, Shea Otani wants out of the Angels organization. If the Angels are not in playoff contention, I don't know where he's going to go. I know Met fans think that that's where he's heading because of Uncle Stevie's pockets. A lot of Yankee fans think he could be going to the Yankees. And there are stories coming out that the Yankees might be interested in him. As we heard Aaron Judge say, they would love him and welcome him with open arms. Everybody would welcome him with open arms. A talented pitcher that he is and hitter that he could add to that lineup. I don't know what an organization like the Angels are going to do when it comes to this point at the trade deadline, I could believe one thing and one thing only. He is going to be traded to a team that has a very deep farm system. So the Yankees are not going to trade Dominguez or any of their youngsters. I don't believe the Mets have a good enough farm system to trade for Shea Otani. So it's not going to be any of the New York teams. I could see the Dodgers doing it. They have a ton of prospects. I could see the Padres doing it if they decide to part ways with Soto. Maybe he's added into that trade to bring in a guy like Otani. I don't know. It's definitely an interesting story. I do believe Otani will be going elsewhere next year. I just don't know if any team is going to be willing to rent this guy out for a couple of weeks and the playoffs, including the Dodgers. So I wouldn't bet that Shea Otani is going to be traded at the trade deadline. Yeah, the Dodgers are really the only chances because they still have a top well, Why would they do that system? when they could sign him in the offseason? That would be the only thing that, right, that would be the only thing that they have the leverage of because they also did not make a lot of big money moves this offseason, too. So I don't know if the Dodgers would even be thinking about doing that unless they feel like they could fleece the Angels somehow. I think that's the only way they would do it. The Giants are really not in a position to do that. Their farm system isn't great. Like you were saying, I don't know if Brian Cashman is going to want to try to He's push not. all those prospects He's out. Not doing the Mets that. definitely can't afford to do that unless they trade all four of their hitting prospects plus probably somebody on their major league roster in order to do that too so that's going to be hard I agree with you I do think he'll end up going to the Dodgers one way or another or he'll stay on the west coast I, I do I, I don't think he'll be with the Angels I think he'll go to the other LA team yeah. the Dodgers they'll have money uh, they have a tremendous amount of prospects that are going to be called up very very soon and I don't think that the Dodgers are willing to trade any of those prospects when they can get them in free agency I don't think he's getting traded even if the Angels Unless the Angels are willing to take less just to get rid of him and get whatever they can for him, 
I don't see it happen. I think the Angels are going. They have a terrible owner in Moreno. (laughs) He's an idiot. And I don't think that this organization's smart enough to move him in the in the perfect time or at the perfect time to help this organization out in the future. And if he goes, expect Mike Trout in the offseason to go as well. Mm -hmm. So they will be full out rebuilding in the offseason. And maybe if the Mets don't get Shea Otani, I could see the Mets getting Mike Trout. I absolutely could see it because I think the Mets are one of very few teams that would take that contract on. He can move back out east. He's closer to his family. He's from Philadelphia. Uh, He would be playing in the same division against his lovely Philadelphia Phillies. I don't think that's where he's heading, especially with Trey Trey Turner going there in the offseason. So it makes a lot more sense of waiting until the offseason for both players to be traded. Yeah, yeah, they might be playing in the same division, but the Phillies can't afford enough money to another hitter, too. The Mets, maybe they can, but again, it's going to be a while for them to try to get Trout, too, because they have a lot of money invested in hitters as well. They could sign and trade Otani. They could do that, and that could help. If Otani really wants to help the Angels out, that could happen, so we'll Mm, see. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Anyways, are you ready, Speedy? Yes, it is time for Crunch Time! It's time for Crunch Time! All right, we'll start in the NFL draft. Buy or sell. The New York Giants will take a position other than wide receiver in the first round. Absolutely. I think they're going corner. They need help in the secondary. Like I said, I I don't trust Jackson. Jackson has been fighting injury for the last couple of years. I don't even think he's a, a true number one. I, I believe at 25 you can find a true number one, and that's where I think the Giants go. I absolutely buy it. I'm going to buy it, but I'm going to think a little differently here. I, I really think they're going to go after the center, Schmitz. I, they, uh, everything I've read, Brian Dable and Joe Shane really do like him. He's rising on a lot of draft boards. They need interior offensive line. They need young offensive linemen to go along with their two tackles. So I think that's where they're going to end up going. I am going to buy it. All right, buy or sell. One of the wild card teams in the NHL playoffs, the Jets, the Kraken, the Panthers, or the Islanders, will win their series. I buy it. I mean, there's too many games and there's too many teams that could surprise people. The Krakens are playing great hockey. They're right now in a surprise position. If the Islanders could win game four, yeah, I I really do think they can come back in that series. Uh, There's more than enough that we have seen in the last couple of days that any one of these teams could win and surprise and shock the world. So I'm going to buy it. I am going to sell it. I, I think the best chance is probably Winnipeg because I do like their roster a lot, but I do I do really like Vegas. Now they're getting healthy. They're getting hot at the right time. It's just a matter of their goaltending, but I do like their coach and Bruce Cassidy. Kraken is interesting because they have a lot of experience coming from other teams, but Colorado, I do think, even without Landeskog, is still going to tough that one out. And the Eastern Conference, the Islanders, if they can get the hot goaltending, it's definitely possible, but I just don't see that because the Hurricanes are a tough home team. So I am going to sell that one. All right, buy or sell. The New York Jets will take a position other than offensive tackle in the first round. I'm going to buy it because they like the the Ohio State wide receiver. They love the kid. Uh, If the Jets decide to trade down uh, from 13 to 17 or 18, I think the kid will still be there. They might lose out on one of the top tackles. So I would buy it just because of that because they want to add more picks uh, to this roster after losing the one uh, for Elijah Moore, so I'm going to buy it. Yeah, I'm going to buy it, too. I just don't know if Skaronsky's also going to be there at 13. Tackle is a premier position. We see it get drafted in the top 10 very frequently, and a lot of teams need offensive line in that top 10, so I just don't think he's going to be there. I, if Najigo's there for the Jets, that is a steal. I don't know if he'll be there either, but either way, I think if they don't go offensive tackle with Skaronsky, they'll go with a different position at, if they trade back, so I am going to buy it either way. All right, buy or sell. Somebody other than Jalen Brunson or Donovan Mitchell will be the leading scorer for the remainder of the Knicks-Cavs series. I'm going to 
to sell it. I don't believe it. I, I think it's Jalen Brunson. I, I can't see Donovan Mitchell not being a leading scorer of the Cavaliers. Garland's look good in one game, look bad in the other. Uh, Mobley's a good player, but he's not a leading scorer type of player. So, And, and I, I don't trust Julius Randle. So I am going to sell it. Yeah, I'm going to sell it too for the same reason. Darius Garland's just been too streaky. Julius Randle is always streaky in the playoffs if he's even good to begin with. And those other wings are just too tough to trust as well. I think Jalen Brunson will get hot at the right time for the Knicks. I don't know if he'll be the leading scorer. I would trust Mitchell to be it more, but I definitely think he's the Knicks leading scorer. So I am going to sell that one. All right. The Yankees, the only team that have not lost a series so far this season. Buy or sell. They will win their next two as well. They're home against the Blue Jays and on the road against the Twins. I think they lose their first series uh, this coming week. I think they lose against the Blue Jays in the series. They beat the Twins in the, what is it, a three-game series? Uh They'll beat the Twins in a three-game series, but they'll lose against the Blue Jays. They'll lose their first series. Uh, I have to give the the Yankees a lot of credit, a lot of credit, because uh, with 11 injuries and doing what they're doing right now is very impressive. So that's... That that shows the the coaching, the managing of the hated Aaron Boone. I am going to sell it. Yeah, I'm going to sell that one too. I actually think they could even lose both series. The Twins have been hot to start the season as well, and they're actually getting very good pitching. They beat too. them the last series. They, they did, and they have actually gotten very good pitching with their bullpen and with depth of their starters as well, which is not supposed to be a big, big strength for the Twins. And the Blue Jays, they're going to have their top two starters coming out. Now, Garrett Cole is pitching one of the games, so they might Yankees might win that. But after that, I think it's Clark Schmidt who has not pitched well as a starter at all. So I am going to sell that one as well. All right, last one. All four quarterbacks, Richardson, Levis, Young, Stroud, will all be drafted in the top 10. I'm going to sell it. I I think Richardson falls out of the top 10. I do. I think C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, and Levis will be drafted in the top 10. I think with so many teams looking for offensive line help and defensive linemen that are still sitting there, I I think people are going to skip on Richardson. He falls a little bit out of the top 10. He goes somewhere in the teens, so I am going to sell it. I'm going to buy that only because I think of the trade-up potential is still very strong for a lot of the teams that are in the middle of that first round, too. I think I don't think the Texans smoke screen that they're not going to take a quarterback is actually true. I do think they'll end up taking a quarterback. I think Indianapolis will end up taking a quarterback, and I do think you'll end up seeing a surprise trade-up, maybe a team like the Commanders in, the, in that middle of that first round that could definitely trade up with a team like the Raiders, a team like the Bears that have always tra- already traded back as it is. So I do think all four will end up going. I think Richardson will be the last one to go. I agree with you, but I do think all four will go. I disagree, and I'm going to tell you why. I'm usually right, so especially when it comes to the draft. I do not believe all four of those guys are going in in the top ten because there's just so many pieces. Other teams are missing. Players fall out of the top ten when everybody believes they were top ten prospects. As good as Richardson looked at the combine, I just don't think Richardson is going to stay in the top ten. And I don't see any team like the Commanders or any of the other teams going to try to trade into the first round and give up any type of prospects or any type of draft stock because they need all the help they can get. So I think he falls out. I think he'll go somewhere between 11 and 17. That's where I think Richardson will go. And he could turn out to be, look, Lamar Jackson, did anybody think he was going to fall out uh, almost of the first round? Nobody did. He was a Heisman Trophy winner. He fell all the way to 30-31. And look at him. He turns out to be the best quarterback in that class. So Richardson could. 
I think he's a middle-of-the-draft type of quarterback in the first round. Thank you to Jacksonville Jaguars linebacker Foyer Aluakin. He was fantastic. He is a great interview. He led the league in tackles back-to-back years, so thank you for giving us the time. He started practicing with the team, getting ready for the draft, so thank you to Foyer. Thank you to our friends over there at Moneyline Mania and Jonathan and Paolo. Hopefully Chaz's family is doing fine. I know he missed his first main show as the leader of his uh, Moneyline Mania team. So mm-hmm. shout out to Chaz and Wes over there. Stay out of trouble, Wes, because Golden State's not winning the championship and either are the Rangers. And bet tank tonight. Bet tank. Ryan Garcia is not going to win tonight. You could take that to the bank. So bet whatever you can on that. Bet it early because it's going to go up. And listen, if Ryan Garcia shocks the world and knocks out Tank, I wouldn't be surprised, but it's not going to happen. Tank's the better fire, so definitely check out the boxing matches tonight. It's going to be a great card. We will be back next week with great guests and great content. Stay healthy. Stay ready. Good night.